We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dice Tradecast, brought to you by Rotoviz Radio and my FFPC. Today, uh, we are joined by my good friend Dan Senio. Uh, welcome, Dan. Uh, welcome to your own podcast. I don't know why I'm welcoming you, but uh, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. I, I, it's, I'm I'm happy to be on my own podcast. Uh, we we were in that tough stretch, but now we are home free. We are here. We are happy. We are podcasting. Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, sadly, we, we are without Eric today, uh, today and this week, but we'll hopefully we'll be back with him next week. And in place of Eric, uh, you can't replace Eric, but you know we're going to try with uh, John Bosch for this week. John Bosch uh, is one of my favorite podcasters, one of my favorite guys in the industry, and he's joining us, a fellow commish extraordinaire, uh, Dynasty Wall Street podcast, Dynasty Game Night. Uh, Dan and I have both been on that podcast. Uh, John, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing all right. I'm a little nervous with that intro. That uh, that was yeah, that was aggressive. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season: forty to seventy-five percent off everything, plus doorbusters August thirtieth through September second only. Tees from four ninety-nine, logo styles from sixteen ninety-nine, and jeans from nineteen ninety-nine. Shop in store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. That was very nice intro. I'm wondering what kind of trade offer is going to be coming. Right <laughs> <laughs> no, happy to be here. We get to talk some auctions tonight, which is perhaps my favorite subject to talk about fantasy football. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, granted, I'll, I'll have to complain about, I'm the one who's planning these podcasts. I'm the one who's saying, okay, we're going to talk about this and this and this. And Dan never does that. And neither does Eric. Eric edits right. the podcast most of the time. But but this past week, um, we, we, I, we talked about nice startups with uh, Sam Lane. And then uh, John says, hey, whenever you want to do an auction podcast, just 
let me know and I'll, I'll be the guest. And I was like, okay, you want to do it next week? And John's like, <laughs> yep. So yep. John, you, you line you, and sinker. <laughs> John, you planned this podcast. Congratulations. No problem. I, I am uh auctions. I am. I will go anywhere and talk anywhere about, obviously I couldn't, I was like, yep, sure. Monday night works for me. Let's do it. <laughs> Alrighty, so yeah, we're gonna be talking uh, startup auction strategy, and maybe might even dip a little bit into just overall auction strategy. Talk some rookie auction stuff like that. But before we get into all that, as a low podcast listener, you get thirty percent off Rotoviz NFL Pass for the twenty nineteen season. It's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Twenty nineteen season is around the corner. Make sure you're ready. Gain limited access to all your NFL content and tools, so you get amazing value and support the podcast network. Once again, that's rotaviz.com slash podcast. By the way, by the way, before we get into the show, the haters and losers, of which there are many, and I'm like, if this was just one person, I wouldn't say anything, but it's been like four or five people the last couple of weeks. Stop saying I'm bad at live ad reads. Like, you guys can can go and uh, do something else. Uh, you guys are mean, and I don't appreciate you guys. You guys like my content, my takes, but you criticize my ad reads, you can go somewhere. I think Wait. Nathan. I think they're saying that you are you have a poor reading level. Is what they're saying. I mean, I, I do teach kindergarten, so you are what you teach. <laughs> People there like your picture, content but... and takes. That's what I find a little bit more surprising. It, it's, it's the ad reads they have an issue with. Uh, you know. <laughs> ad, live ad reads actually suck. So good on you for doing them live. That's something that. <laughs> I think we usually try to record off air and just plug it in. So you need that. Uh, that, drop takes, that, just that, says, that takes so much effort with editing that I'm like, no, screw that. We're just, just reading it. <laughs> All righty. Let's get started. Uh, Dan, that was your spot to, you know, jump in and try and transition, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, here we go. Like segues. <laughs> there we go. Or to segue into startup auction strategy. The first step, first step into startup auction. Last week we said the first step of a snake draft is picking your draft position. First step of a startup auction is deciding your nomination strategy. So, John Bosch, you're starting a startup auction. Let's assume it's not a capitalist pigs or it's not a league with no name. It's just a normal startup auction, $400 budget. What's your strategy as far as who are you nominating? Are you nominating studs? Are you nominating middle of the road players or duds? What are you thinking? Who are you nominating on the first few days of an auction? Uh, day one and two, I usually try to do a stud. I, I want somebody out there that's going to burn somebody's money. And then I often will. Put out guys that I'm happy to get for a dollar, but happier if somebody else gets them for four or five dollars. Like that's that's where I shift to pretty quickly. Everybody's ready to spend money on day one and two. So I like to provide those players that will let them spend that big money. Yeah, it's it's much easier to get people to spend when they have all of that money in their pockets. And like John, my my very first move in in most auctions that you know I I try to vary it a little bit but in most auctions i'm putting out two elite assets that i have no interest in paying for but expect at least two owners if not three to get to dive in and really um really spend away so that makes it a little bit easier remove some of the money from the auction board um and it's a player that i wasn't interested in paying for and then occasionally sometimes those players go through and it ends up being that people don't spend on them and they don't get to the amount that i feel they're worth and then I can get them for cheaper, even if it's somebody I don't like. 
Yeah, my, my general startup auction strategy to begin, I actually don't really go for the, the Julio Jones or, or the Odell Beckhams. I don't go for that level of stud. I kind of go on the lower level, the guys that are projected as like breakout guys. I go for the Cortland Suttons and, you know, the Calvin Ridleys and players that Chris Godwin's guys that people are projecting to maybe make the leap in the next year. And one of two things happens. Either A, someone just spends far, spends far too much on, you know, a mid-level uh, player or, or they're like, okay, it's so early in the auction. I want to wait. I want to spend on these studs. I want to, you know, save some money for later. And then you end up getting a bargain on, you know, a potential breakout guy. So I like nominating those, you know, fourth to seventh round guys, guys who project as breakout players for the following season. Because I think that one of two things happens. Either they become overvalued or people try and, you know, become a little hesitant and, you know, save for later. That's that's a smart way to do it because a lot of times early on in drafts, especially if you're or not in drafts, in auctions, if, especially if you're auctioning with, uh, people that maybe aren't as experienced or maybe it's their very first one, a lot of times they're not looking for those guys right away. They're thinking it's more like a like a live auction type where you know they start at the top and just kind of work your way down. Whoever gets them, gets them. And they're not anticipating these types of players coming on the board. And they're like, oh, I want to wait for Saquon Barkley or I want to wait for Michael Thomas. Um, you can you can sneak guys through like that, like like you said, Nathan. Not necessarily sneaking through for like a dollar, whatever it is, but I feel like early on you can get those mid level guys for probably less than you would anticipate getting them for. the The only issue there is with those breakout types. If there's one other owner on it, both of you are getting that that player to its exact peak value because one of you has to give up at some point, and usually it's not at a all right, that's a reasonable price I'm going to give up. It's, hey, I'd spend a little bit more for this type of player, and so would that guy. I try not to really get in bidding wars with people. I don't I don't look at who outbids me when I do get outbid. I basically, when I get that alert, I just look at the board and see what my next option is. Um, so I, I try to remain pretty open and flexible. I I never I never care who outbids me anymore. It doesn't doesn't change the fact that now I have different money freed up, and I can go shift that money to el- elsewhere on the board. Is there a particular position that you try and uh, nominate early on in an auction or even wait until you nominate those players later on, uh, Dan? It, like in a super flex, are you trying to get the quarterbacks off the board? Or are you trying to save the quarterbacks for later? Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on positional as far as uh, when, when you're nominating them? Yeah, in a super flex, I'm, I'm kind of hoping some quarterbacks hang for when budgets start to thin out a little bit. It's it's nice to get the the big elite names off the board quickly because again early on people are seem to be a little bit more willing to spend. You do have some folks who will just kind of wait in the shadows for stuff like that to happen and not spend on day one, two, or three and just kind of wait it out. Um, but I think I think it's important to keep those those maybe low end QB ones or QB twos kind of hidden from from the group and 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 if you can get one off the board. You know, in the midst of chaos, that's that's a nice a nice kind of move. But I'm not really I'm not really looking at any position specifically to target or to try to get off of the board quickly. I think I think it just kind of depends on what the group's doing uh, rather than what I'm doing. So I'll give you an example of an auction that just started this past weekend for me. Um, and in this case, I did not put a stud up early because Saquon and Mahomes they were already on the board. So my day one nomination was Tyrod Taylor. Day two, Teddy Bridgewater. Day three, Ryan Tannehill. So I did my best to try and put other quarterbacks, not even like startable lever quarterbacks on the board. Again, if I get them for $1, I'll be really happy with that. 
But if somebody else is going to spend 10 on them because it's early, I'm really happy with that. Yeah, I definitely think that's a quality strategy. And with that, we can transition into spending strategy as far as the, the timing of when you're spending your money. Now, I, I think for the most part, the conventional wisdom is, oh, if you wait longer, you're going you're gonna to get more of the discounts. But I do have – I'm in the middle of a 60-team startup. And granted, it's a league with no-name league, which were much more complicated with affiliations and whatnot. But in general, I, I do think that – there is a fine line between waiting too long to spend your money and then you end up spending too much on middle tier players. So just in general, yes, maybe you're, you you would say that spending, you know, later than earlier is better, but Dan, um, have you ever been the guy that wants to spend all your money in the first four days or, you know, in that range? I've been close to that guy. It, it Sometimes it happens where a bunch of my, the guys that, I maybe kind of set out to target, hit the board early. And if they were going for prices that weren't astronomical, I was very comfortable in in spending a, a big lump of my total budget, even if it set me behind a little bit. If I didn't feel like I was overpaying, it didn't matter how much I spent on day one, day two, or day three. If the players are values, the players are values. So again, I think it it's really dependent on what the board and what the league is doing. Um, but I, I think I think if you have somebody that is like a known producer and you just want them i think don't be afraid to to be aggressive uh depending on if your league is non-proxy or proxy to be aggressive in your in your initial you know bid obviously don't be like okay i'm gonna put 40 percent on this guy don't ever do that um you need to you need to budget correctly going in and and be willing to spend that amount if that guy hits the board if he if you truly want him but again just kind of see what the league's doing before you you kind of put your foot in the ground and, and make that hard step. So yeah, I think I, go ahead. I was gonna say that I actually love being the guy that comes out bidding a lot early on. I prefer to win the first guy that comes off the board uh, because it allows me to kind of know how I'm gonna set my team up. If there's guys on the board that I like. If if I want a guy, I don't care if I'm gonna overspend for him early. Uh, because like you've said, what happens if you save all your money is you end up overspending on guys that you don't like as much later. You're going to get some deals if you save money, but you're also going to not have those studs in your lineup. And for me, those guys, they come up early and they cost a lot of money. But the only way you're going to have them to win a league is if you pay for them. So I like to get that guy off the board early and then set my lineup and roster around that one player. And until you get that guy, you're kind of... uh kind of don't know exactly which pathway you need to go yeah and i do think that there like i said there is a fine line with it and it, it's always better to overspend on the stud than it is to overspend on the mid-tier guys like oh i could have you know got noto beckham but instead i got chris godwin and mike williams for the same price because i end up overspending on that mid-tier of players rather than overspending on the studs. So it is important to kind of recognize how many players are on the board, how many teams in your league. And I, I mean, this is um, kind of just speaking circle of experience and current experience going on, but the larger the league, the more likely you are to get caught with money. So the larger the league, the more likely I am to uh, get, you know, spend early rather than, at least, you know, in future experience, because I, I basically what I'm saying is I'm in a 16 team league right now and I, I saved money and I ended up biting me in the butt. So I, I do think that people don't realize how quickly those assets go off in a larger uh, uh, pool of, you know, teams, whether it's a 14 team or a 16 teamer. 
Yeah, and don't yeah. be afraid. Don't be afraid to spend if you see something that's potential value. Thinking like, well, I need to save that extra little bit for later on. It, you know, like forty-year-old virgin. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's you don't get you don't get reimbursed for this money. You you need to spend it. That's the startup auction. That's where all the money goes. So spend it. Obviously, go crazy and blow your entire you know amount right away, but. You, you need to spend that money. I, I th- it's, it seems really stupid to say it, but some people, it, like it just happened to Nathan, some people hang on for it to way too long, and now all of a sudden you have 30% of your budget and no one else needs players, and you just get stuck. Yeah, you have to spend your money. You, the worst feeling in the world is being the last guy in the auction with money and nowhere to put that money. And so you basically just spend it on guys you don't really want just so that it's gone at the end. And it just ends up looking so bad and just, it's painful to see. Well, I may regret spending uh, late on a uh, 16-team league. One uh, format where I wouldn't regret spending late is a double copy league. That's our next topic is double copy strategy via your co-host, Matt Price. He wanted to know what our takes were on double copy. And all my experience in double copy leagues has pretty much been that everyone gets too anxious early on, and then the second copies of players and end up going for far too little. So uh, obviously it's not the the guaranteed the first copy is always going to be uh, going for more than the second copy. But in most scenarios, from my experience, the second copy has been cheaper. So, John Bosch, what is your double copy strategy? Again, I don't mind overpaying for the first copy. If it gets me the guy, um, as long as it's not an extreme overpay. But I, I am fine with paying up for that first copy because then I have that guy and that's one less variable um, which makes me feel better in an auction anytime I can eliminate variables I'm a lot safer in an auction whereas if I don't have that guy on the first copy and that second copy is up on the board and I know I want him at that point I might be a little bit more reckless with my bidding and if I've let it go for a couple of guys and then I'm fighting over multiple copy multiple players of their second copy that's going to be um, that can be a painful experience as well because uh, if I want them both, I'd rather get them both on the first copy, even if it costs me an extra ten percent. At least then I have them, and I, I know I won't be wasting my money down the line. Yeah, I I see honestly my my limited experience in double copy. I see more of of people outsmarting themselves, thinking, "Hey, I'm going to wait for that second copy to be cheaper than the first copy," and then the first copy ends up being way cheaper than the second copy. Because people just all have that same idea, and only a couple people were thinking, "Hey, I'm just going to get this guy right now." Like how John said, you might feel like it's an overpay at the time, but then that second copy comes out, and it's you know it's ten percent more or something crazy like that. So I think I think double copy is its own animal, and like John said, that's that's one where I think you you are more you're maybe smarter to be more aggressive early, especially on those high end guys. Um, just, I mean, that's kind of the same way in any format, but in double copy, especially because you know that whoever you're battling with now is going to have to be even more aggressive on the second copy because now there's not another chance to get that player. So if you can get them now with a little bit less aggression from others, because it's not the end all be all, that's not that there's still one more to, to go. I think it's way easier to get that first player than it is a second player. Yeah, there definitely is an element of like you're seeing Michael Thomas on the board and he's going for like 28% of your budget. And then you're thinking to yourself, oh, there's no way Michael Thomas is going to go for 28% of your budget again. And then you let let the first copy go and then the second copy ends up going for like 30%. So there is an element of risk involved in, you know, waiting for the second copy. But 
I think that the the main element of the, the going for the second copy strategy is that there's always going to be less money on the board with the second copy than there was on the first copy. But along those same lines, there's going to be fewer players available to be bid on once that second copy comes on the board or, you know, uh, the, the, the auction is closer to being over by the second copy and therefore making the money worth less at the, with the second copy than it is with the first. And that's the key. You have to watch not just what the prices of the players on the board, whether it be the first copy or the second copy, but you really have to watch how much money does everybody else have. That comes into play way more than just how much am I going to spend for this player. If that first copy is up on the board and there's a ton of money left, well, guess what? That first copy might be more expensive, but it might be harder to get it when that second copy comes around if enough people have saved their money. And like Dan said, they know it's their last chance to spend, so it's going to go up. Yeah, you have to keep your head on a swivel. It's it's super, super important to know what's going on around you. Uh, that, that, for me, is probably one of the most important things in any format of auction is knowing where everybody stands, knowing what they have in open bids, and knowing what they have in reserve. So I have an idea of what they might be ready to spend or willing to spend on any player I might be interested in getting. And, you know, you can, there, there's strategy in everything, but knowing what other people have in front of them is, is almost as important as knowing what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's like sitting at a poker table. If you know only your chip count and you don't know everybody else's, you're doing you're yourself a, a disservice. I mean, yeah, you have to place. know what, what's the minimum that you can do go over top of somebody and they can't match it no matter what you have to. And MFL has got a really nice tab that, you know, nice report to show you a quick auction summary of the entire league, a couple of clicks and you see the entire report. It's real easy. Yeah. I believe it's called auction results summary. Yep. That's the one. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next one. And this can be something that I don't necessarily abide by or even, you know, focus on with a startup auction and that's positional budgeting. Um, we've talked about a number of times on this podcast and other podcasts. I'm not a, I don't really worry about positions in needs in the off season. And guess what? Startup startups often happen during the off season. So I'm mostly focused on just finding the best values and getting the players that I'm targeting throughout that off season. So as far as a positional budget, I don't really have one. I, I don't say I need 25% of my quarterback, 30% of my running back, 40% of wide receiver. I don't really put that type of thing together. I'm mostly just looking at the board. And I'm saying, okay, am I willing to spend 7% on this player or 10% on this player? I'm more, analyzing each individual player rather than, you know, saying, okay, I need to spend this much on each position. Uh, do you guys feel any different? Do you, you know, say, okay, I won't spend more than 40% on wide receiver. Uh, what are your thoughts on positional budgeting for startup auctions? I think, I think as an experienced player, Nathan, I, I think you're going to be more apt or more able to kind of work, work with things on the fly like that. I think a beginner it, you know, if it's your first auction or maybe you know, your first couple and you're not really sure how these things really work still, I think it's important to set yourself a budget. Don't be super strict to it, but give yourself a penciled in outline of where your money should be going based on your personal values within leagues. You have a value of running backs. You have a value of wide receivers, quarterbacks, tight ends are kind of, unless it's super flex, are kind of off to the side a little bit, unless you're going to be aggressive and go for a Kelsey or an Ertz or a Kittle. Um, I think it's important to keep an eye on where your spending's going, but again, it doesn't have to be a hard line. I think, I think you need to be able to maneuver within, you know, your budget, wherever you need to, to find players. 
Um, but once you are experienced and you get a little bit more, uh, more time with this, with this stuff, you can, you can work around pretty much everything without having a set budget and knowing exactly you're spending 12% on this and you know 14% on that. You, you get a feel for what you're doing with within your budget without physically, you know, putting down hard numbers and things like that. So I think as a beginner, it's important to, to do just kind of a rough outline. And then as you get better, you don't need it. Yeah. That's how I attacked pigs one. Uh, I did have a, uh, I had a pretty strict outline of what I was going to do, what I was going to follow. I spent a lot of time because I was going to outnumber all of you people that are much smarter than <laughs> I am at fantasy football. That's what I was going to do. Uh, two days in, I threw it out. That was obviously going to be garbage and wasn't going to help me. And I haven't prepared like budget wise for an auction since now, like you said, Dan, if you're experienced, which at this point now I've done a lot of auctions, you can kind of get a feel real quickly for how an auction is going to go just by watching the board, watching the chat, things like that. But I, I don't go in with any set limits at all. And I think the biggest line that you hit was saying that you can't have it be a hard line. When you see somebody that says, I'm not going to spend over 30% on my QB1 or something like that, what happens is that guy gets the 30%, they they move off of him and they can't adjust. But then they as they go down the tiers of quarterbacks, you know, now you're looking instead of getting a top half quarterback one, you're looking at a bottom half quarterback one. And maybe you didn't want to spend 25% on that guy, but now that guy's already at 25%. You didn't get anybody at the top that you wanted. I'm obviously talking super flex when I'm giving these percents, stuff like that. Um, and then, then they give up on that guy too. And so you, then you just put yourself in a bad spot. So if you're going to have, you know, a preconceived budget, you have to know that you have to be flexible with it because things are going to change. And whether you want it to or not, sometimes things are just going to be more expensive. Yeah, and in general, these sort of things with a positional budget kind of relate to like a do not draft list. There's so many flaws with having a do not draft list. Like, I will never draft Calvin Ridley. He's so old. He's terrible. Da, da, da. There's always a number for things like, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Calvin Ridley entering draft season. But when he ended up falling to the 111 in rookie drafts, I'm like, well, I'm going to take the first round rookie wide receiver that ended up going to the 111. There's and, – and there's all sorts of scenarios that will work out for you where if you – you set hard and fast rules. Like I'm not going to spend more than this on a player. Then it's going to bite you because there's going to be values that present themselves that you're ex- excluding yourselves from the, that those values. And you don't want to do that. Yeah. And we've, we, I mean, we harped on it the entire episode. You need, you need to know what's going on around you. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, Hey, if, if everybody's going RBs, now I have to get my, my hat in that ring. No, you, you need to, like John said, you need to adjust constantly. If the board is running back heavy, well, guess what? That means wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks are probably going to be at a little bit of a discount right now, and that's the ring you need to be in. Does that maybe put you at a disadvantage for running back? Potentially, but that also means that these guys are tying their rosters to potentially one player or one position. And if you can if you can spread your money out and dominate one or two positions when somebody's stuck in one, you have an advantage already being able to get two players at a higher end or at or you know or more volume. And, and you just you always have to adjust. That's, I think that's the most important thing out of all of this is not confining yourself in a box and, and just getting stuck. You need to always, always, always work with what you've got and work with what's happening around you because you can't control what other people are spending on things. They're going to do what they're going to do, but you need to adjust to it. And you need, 
sometimes you overreact, sometimes you underreact, and sometimes you do it the right way. It's just it's finding that balance. And over time in auctions, you'll learn it. But there's always that wild card. There's always at least one owner that just ruins everything. They blow up QB prices or all of a sudden wide receivers aren't – you can't get them now unless you're willing to just break the bank. So it's it's always adjust. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. Adjust, adjust, adjust. And to do that, you have to keep a constant eye on the board. Um, anybody that just checks into the auction, you know, a couple of times a day, that's going to be hard to get a handle on what's going on in the auction. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I, I check it probably way more frequently than I should. It's at least a couple of times an hour that I check the board when I have an auction going on, because I like to know anytime a player moves and gets bumped in a price to the point where his clock resets, I like to see what happens to the rest of the board. Because as, if you start to watch and you start to see how the dominoes fall, what you can then do is you can predict how the dominoes are going to fall. And once you can do that, you have such a humongous advantage in the auction. It's unreal. Once you can figure out when you look at a board and say, if I bid this guy off of this player, I'm going to free up this much money from him. His money is going to go right here. And then it's just going to be right down the line you can predict how many players are going to get bumped up and how many clocks are going to reset. That is a huge advantage, but you can't do it checking in just once or twice a day. Right. I, I think, you know, honestly, that's, that's probably all you need. I think we should just end the episode now. We'll see you guys <laughs> later. No. Actually, before we do that, we're going to transition to the second half of the show, which will have more takes. But before we do that, uh, Dan, do the, sh- do the ad so I can pee. Okay. Well, while while Nathan uses the the little boys' room, um, uh, we're just we're gonna we're gonna roll. And by roll, I mean mid roll. Road of his fans. Just give me one quick second. I promise it won't be that long. We need to talk about the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. While it may be the off season for most people, and it's off season for everybody, unless you're playing AAF, which some of you lunatunes are. It's not for our listeners though, because you know, it's a dynasty you know, dynasty league football. Dynasty Tradecast, we're playing year-round, folks. People uh, people over at the FFPC, it's not their offseason either. If you're diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues are already open for this season with drafts forming daily, starting at just $35. Are you a fan of the Dynasty format? Which, obviously, if you're here, you're, you're going to be a Dynasty lover. Over the last few years, FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active dynasty leagues or the same amount that the FF ghost plays in by himself. Uh, I think it's the exact same number. They started just $77 and even have a $5,000 entry league or entry level league, which that's insane. Uh, I could use a, a free invite to that one. Thank you. The best part is though, not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. That's insane. So there, uh, there are also a limited number of orphan teams available for purchase as well. So you can do that. You can get in a brand new startup. Everything's opening just, it seems like, constantly. So don't miss out on the FFPC experience, Rotoviz listeners. That's you. We're talking to you. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All righty. Now let's get into – now, Dan, you have once called me Mr. Counter. Um, if there was a Mr. Table Talk in the Dynasty Fans Football industry, it would be our good friend, John Bosch. Mr. Table Talk, uh, what are your thoughts on Table Talk? Uh, I love it. I mean, for me, it's for me, it's fun and it's part of the game. 
I actually didn't realize how polarizing uh, it was, but that's because my introduction to the dynasty world was in a league where let's face it, it's 28 people that don't know how to shut their mouths ever. Um, <laughs> so the table talk was insane, right? Right. in my welcome. So, I mean, I just, to me, that was always the norm. Um, I, I will say I have one league that's a lot higher stakes and I co-own with Kevin Cotillo. And in that league, we actually specifically asked like, Table talk's not allowed during this auction, right? And it wasn't, which was good because at that level, we wanted it to be a little bit more quiet. Um, but when we're just playing in these leagues for fun, to me, it's definitely part of the fun. Anytime you can have any table talk, uh, it's it's just part of the game and it's fun for me. Just to you know, show John's level of table talk, we had an owner literally not participating in a Devi auction. <laughs> and he-, he had the most money. And he told the owner to start participating in the Debbie auction. And so he did. So John single-handedly cost everyone hundreds of Debbie dollars because someone was not participating in an auction. Yeah. I only had, I only had like $75 to spend in that Debbie auction. I got one player, but I'd sure as hell didn't want everybody else getting guys cheap. So uh, yeah, that worked out well. Poor, the poor guy had missed the Devi auction last year. Just had all the cash <laughs> laying around. You know, I'm just I'm just doing what I can to help him out. Yeah, that definitely yeah. that definitely probably made ten percent more be spent in that auction at least. John's John's just here for the people. That's that's what he's here for. I'm happy to uh, help. Yeah. Happy to help. <laughs> I, you know, I don't I don't mind table talk. I I think there's there's a certain point where it gets to be a little bit much. Um, but I, I'm okay with it as long as it's not targeted table talk. Like if every time one individual owner is winning a player, someone's going, hey, this guy's winning this for this much. As long as it's not targeted, totally fine. Uh, like John said, high stakes leagues, uh-uh, not happening. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, fun leagues, any you know, anything where you're not like, wow, I need to scramble to come up with money for this startup, which by the way, if you're doing that, you A, have an issue and B, shouldn't be doing this. Um, don't, yeah, I mean, high stakes, don't, anything else fun have fun with it don't be don't be um don't be too aggressive but make sure everyone's enjoying it still if people stop enjoying it i mean you're gonna do what you're gonna do but yeah maybe maybe cater your act a little bit to to the folk you also i mean it's also something that you really can't police i mean even if even in leagues where it says you know no table talk is allowed well so something just happens in a little side chat instead of the main chat uh, that's definitely, that definitely occurs whether there's table talk allowed or not. People talk individually to other people about what's going on in the auction. So as a commissioner, I, I'm never going to want to be put in the position of, well, you have to decide if this was over the line or not. That's not for me to decide. That's a pain in my ass. So. Yeah. I mean, two things about table talk for me, I, I think generally my, my rule of thumb is if you're going to talk about it, spend your money. And if you don't have the money, then shut up. That's my personal uh, <laughs> thoughts on table talk. But as far as a commissioner, I don't think there's any policing of table talk. If you don't want to have table talk, don't have a league chat. And I'm just not going to have a league that doesn't have a league chat because I do think that league chats promote, you know, uh, interaction and, you know, league activity. And so, you know, the, part of the reason to have league chat is for table talk. People can talk about what's going on in the league and the and certainly in auction leagues, that's what's going on when you have auctions, whether it's rookie, free agent, heavy, whatever it may be. But for me, I'm never going to table talk someone. I'm not going to say, Oh wow. You know, Julio Jones only going for 10% of the budget, really cheap. Like that's never going to be me. 
And if someone does it to me, like if I'm the one leading on Julio Jones at that price, I'm not going to be like, oh, I hate you so much. But I'm just like, dude, shut up. So okay, Julio Jones is only going for 10% of somebody's it's a, budget. It's a hypothetical, there, there, John. There better, be, there better be seven or eight people <laughs> screaming in that league chat uh, to up that price. <laughs> it's a complete hypothetical. But yeah, I no, mean, I know but yeah, I mean, basically, like I said, my, my thoughts on table talk are if you aren't spending the money, then you should be quiet. <laughs> John will be giving out um, $5 table talk lessons after the podcast. So make sure you. No, I mean, honestly, Cabo Spick's been around for what, three, four years now? I would say John might be the best table talker I've ever seen because he gets people to spend money, whatever he wants. He's like a puppet master. You're going to spend more money than what's being bid right now. And it happens every time. So I, I, wish, I, I, don't... I wish I could take the credit for that. But those leagues are set for people to spend money. That just happens. Sometimes those people might need a little psychopaths. Correct. People <laughs> might just need a little bit of a reminder of how much money they have, which, you know, I, that's what I try and help them with. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from the table talk and we'll move on to another thing that grinds people's gears and my that's gears. redlining. Uh, what'd you say? I said it grinds my gears. Oh, it grinds Dan's gears. It grinds John's gears. Maybe definitely grinds my gears sometimes. Anyways, it's redlining. Uh, for those who don't know what redlining is, basically on MFL, it will have, uh, based on the percentage of the auction clock left, it'll go from yellow to red. And if you bid on a player that's in the red, let's say an 18-hour clock, it's with 50 minutes left, it goes to red, then you're bidding on a redlining. And so people, some people take issue with bidding on a player that is just minutes away from being one. For me, I don't really have an – it's kind of like with table talk. If it happens to me, I'm going to be a little pissed about it. But it's not like I'm, like, going to hate the person for doing it. Mostly because for me, in the scenarios where I'm doing that, I'm never doing it like, oh, I'm going to wait until this player has this many minutes left and then I'm going to bid just to make you mad and make you want to quit on the player. The instances where I'm doing it, it's more so I'm waiting for my player that's going to be going off the board a few minutes earlier, and I want to, A, make sure I win that player first, and B, make sure that you don't have the chance to win that player. So my instances of redlining are never malicious. They're never like, oh, I'm going to make you so mad because you thought you win the player and then you didn't. Um, but it's more so I want to make sure I won my player that's going off the board beforehand. Yeah, and that's the key, Nathan. And that was a lesson I had to learn in our initial pigs auction because it feels really damn personal when somebody does it to you uh, and then you just want to get them back. But that's a terrible way to do an auction and you will actually screw yourself before you screw anybody else. If you're sitting there with your money and you're just waiting for a clock to run down to make a bid, that is a terrible way to bid. I don't get upset by it anymore. Actually, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't even notice. I try. I usually don't even notice who does it um, because when that, red line happens it frees up money and the first place i go is i look at the top of the board and like you said that usually leads to more red lines there's usually something that triggers you know that domino effect of them it just happens but uh you can't get pissed about it it just happens you know maybe that person really didn't have their money freed up and they just did and that's why they got you and then you get somebody else and it's just a cycle but if you're if you're literally holding on your money just to redline somebody, it puts you at a disadvantage because it's not allowing you to set the board up as you want it. What you said, Nathan, is very key. You wait for your guy to go off the board. When you win that player, that's when you go and you hit the board for more. No matter where the players are in a time frame, it doesn't matter to me. If, if people get upset by that, uh, I don't know. They're just not paying attention to what was... They should have been able to look at that board and see okay, John's going to have a player go off five minutes before me. And if he wants this player, 
he's going to come bid in that five minute window. I I'm a big believer in trying to set nice windows for players. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't happen and the window is a lot tighter. And so you only have that five minutes to react and you have to do what you have to do when you want to win. All right, yeah, children, and- open, hold on, hold, hold on, okay. Nathan, hold on. Children, open your ears, open your hearts. I'm going to give you some ins- inspirational words to live by from uh, th- these are from the mouth. Well, this was a while ago, so maybe he doesn't believe this anymore, but from my good friend, Ryan McDowell, if it's red, it's dead. <laughs> unless unless and we're going to talk about this topic in a minute the only time in my opinion redlining is okay is when it's non-proxy because that's half the fun yeah but even even in non-proxy like i mean if you get a guy say you have a guy that was supposed to go off you know at 9 p.m and he gets bit up at 8 59 and you go to that board and there's a guy that goes off at 9 10 but now all of a sudden you have this money for him you're not going to just let him go because if you wanted one of those two players, you have to reset that whole board and you just have to wait another 12 hours. And, you know, hopefully it goes through the next time. Maybe right. it doesn't. Maybe the same scenario happens three, four times in a row, which definitely gets monotonous. But if you don't want that to happen, bid more. It, it, it puts you it puts you at a disadvantage to do it. it like like you said a couple of times, it puts you at a big disadvantage. And also it's a dick move. Obviously, we don't take things personally, <laughs> but it is. It's exactly what it is. You had 24 hours or 18 hours or 16 hours or 12 hours or however long. Please do don't these be 24 things. hours, people. Nobody goes 24 Whatever, hours. Yeah, right. Don't don't yeah, don't do that. Have a 16 or an 18 hour clock. That's it. Just do that. 12. Um you no, had that time to people do like it. to sleep, John. Jesus. <laughs> Don't don't wait. I mean, you like you know. But obviously, you don't have we're that all time. You don't have that time, Dan. You have the time in between when time. you everyone... have the time in between when your player was supposed to go off the board, and when that next player is supposed to go off the board. Doesn't matter. Time your, bit, time. time your bit better then. Well, that's 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 what. Like I said, I try to create bigger windows whenever that option is there, uh, and that's all about board control. You know, if you reset that player after your guy and then hope that somebody comes over him later, then it creates a bigger window. But sometimes, sometimes you don't always have the money to do that until it gets freed up at the last second. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing, my biggest instances of redlining is when I'm looking at my guys that I'm currently winning, and then I look below those guys, and there's guys that I want to bid on, there's no incentive other than, you know, maybe trying to get the players off the board. There's no incentive for me to bid on players below my current players that I'm winning, other than, like I said, trying to get players off the board. Like, I want to make sure I'm getting the players that I'm currently winning, make sure those guys are off the board, and then I'm winning the players below that, and I'm bidding on the players below that. So, yep. yeah, I mean, more often than not, if I'm winning a player and then there's a player below him, by below I mean farther away from being one, then I'm going to wait until my player gets one in order to bid on the next guy, uh, especially if it's, you know, when we're talking about, you know, top-tier players, middle-tier players. Obviously, when we're talking about the end of the auction, we're like, oh, Adam Humphreys or Deshaun Jackson, like, it's not that serious. But, you know, there's a lot more strategy involved in the, in the beginning stages of an auction as far as, you know, when you're bidding and things like that. Yep. Same, Nathan. If you're if you're bidding on guys that are after your guy going off, your last guy on the board, you're putting your money in a place where you can't access it and you don't need to access it yet because you can always go bid on that guy later. But you can't increase your bid on your player if you wanted to do something like that. Once you lock in that money, it's money you can't access. So, yeah, I, I totally on board with that. I look at who's after my guys, but that's only so that I can plan my bids for when my guys go off. I 
definitely never bid on guys that are after somebody I want to win. All right, let's do our final auction uh, discussion, and it's going to be a hot one. Uh, it's going to be one that changed the course of capitalist picks forever. <laughs> proxy versus non-proxy. Danny and I are big proxy guys. Johnny Bosch, you're you're a non-proxy guy, so uh, defend your case. I am a non-proxy person. I can do either. There's different strategies. I have come to enjoy both of them, and both of them are a million times better than any draft you could ever set up. Um I like non-proxy just because I really like to be able to put out a big bid that shocks people and scares the hell out of everybody else auctioning. Instead of going up by a dollar or two or three dollars, jump a guy like 25 bucks and all of a sudden everybody's like, whoa, you know what can happen? That guy squeezes through a lot. Whereas if it's a proxy, even if you put in that $25 bid, it doesn't, doesn't have that same shock appeal because... Even as it gets bid up, it's only a dollar or two at a time, little by little. And you can treat both of them the same. I mean, you can treat a proxy. If you bid in non-proxy as you would in proxy, you know, the results end up the same and the same if you go back and forth. Like, you can do either. They're both strategies, different strategies. They're both fun. I just like non-proxy because I like the ability to go and put out that huge bid that takes people off guard. And maybe they say, well, okay, I'm done with that guy. I'm just going to shift these other guys and while they battle for a dollar or two raising each guy up and up and up hopefully that guy that i took a big jump on can slide through and then i get him i do feel like we've done a little bit of a poor job uh, defining terms for those that aren't as oh. in-depth into the auction community as us uh proxy is ebay style bidding so let's say you start the bidding at an item uh for th- let's say your opening bid is three hundred dollars then you're, it still starts at $1 at the opening bid, and then it just increases as – so let's say I put a proxy of 300 and then uh, John bids 25 then it goes up to 25 and then Dan bids 50 it goes up to 50 and then it won't change hands. It won't reset the clock until someone bids over $300 on that item or whatever. So – and then non-proxy is literally the number you see is the high bid. So every time you bid, you're going to become the new high bidder. So John's leading a player at 85. I bid 86. I'm now the new high bidder. So – the reason why I like proxy is that you don't necessarily always have to pay the amount that you value a player at as far as, you know, at least getting an auction done. So if I value uh, Pat Mahomes at 35% of a start, super flex startup auction, then I'm going to put it at 35% as far as my proxy, but I won't pay 35% unless someone else values him the same way. So you're paying not your own price, but you're paying the market price when you're paying uh, in a proxy startup. But as far as a non-proxy, you're paying, okay, this is the max that I pay more often than not. I'm okay with people overspending. Uh, that, that that doesn't bother me at all. That makes me happy if they want to spend more money. <laughs> Capitalist pigs has ruined you, might I, <laughs> might I say. Oh, yes. And you said both both are very fun. I will say non-proxy is super fun when you have the group of people in one room and you have a 30-second clock. Great, do non-proxy. Do that. But it's just it's the worst thing ever. I I thoroughly loathe non proxy auctions, especially because they take nine years to finish. See, I don't think they do. I think they've the, the ones I've done are about the same time frame as as non proxy proxy and non proxy. They come out to be if it's a startup, comes out to be about three to four weeks somewhere in there, start to finish. But but do you know why? Do you know why it ends up being the same? Because people get so frustrated they end up quitting on their bids. Over the league. Yes, both. <laughs> See, I think people get frustrated the same way in in proxy. I mean, I they because they every time they you know bid 
they eventually get outbid. And if you say you put your max in, Nathan, you say you start with your max on 35% of Patrick Mahomes. If somebody goes to 36%, are you saying you never go to 37% then? I mean, I would say, I, I mean, personally, I rarely go back to a player, If it, especially you know, when we're talking about the, the first area of players. I'm normally putting my, my max number, and if someone outbids me, then I'll you know go after something else. I'm not going to say it never happens, but I'd say more often than not, uh, I'm putting my max on the, the, the top-end players. See, I think I a lot of never. people look at proxy and hope that they can get somebody for cheaper so they don't actually put their max bid in. They put in a bid that they want to right. get a guy for, and then they when they get outbid, they just come right back over the top, which that defeat that basically makes it a non-proxy auction, which is fine. But unless you're putting in your actual max bid, you're you know you're playing proxy in the same way that you're playing non-proxy. If you're willing to increase the amount that you're going to spend after you get outbid, why don't you just put that bid in the first time? That's those are the people that I think get really upset when they get outbid and then they come back because they didn't actually have their maximum bid in the first time. Dan, you were saying something. How often do you go back to the well once you have your proxy max in? How often do you re up it if someone outbids you? Zero point zero 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 percent of the time. I'll do it every uh, time. <laughs> if it's if it's a player, if it's if it's one of those players, I'm willing to put an actual max on. Like I, hey, I'm really gonna be aggressive here. I'm gonna put a big number on this, and I'm gonna get him. And then I don't get him. It's like, haha, that guy spent way too much money on that player. Um, that's usually how I feel now. Like John, you said a second ago, there's there's the times where you don't put your max in, you get beat, and then you go back, and it ends up being a non proxy. It has, it can have that feel, um, but there's a lot of times when when well, whoever owner, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, is just putting numbers on the board to make people spend. A lot of times it ends up being, I'm just going to start throwing numbers out to make people pay money. And whether it extends, excuse me, whether it extends clocks or, or doesn't, or takes money off the board or doesn't, it's, it's constantly keeping everything moving, making people spend money, or now I'm winning players for cheap. I want people spending money. That's the whole goal. (laughs) Is spend their money. This is true. This is true. All and right, you'll John. See me in, you'll see me in a proxy where, like, I'm very rarely the, the bid that you see in my proxy auctions, it's usually that bid or a dollar more. The only time I really go up above that is when I have like a half hour left. If it's a guy that I want and I think I'm getting him cheap, then I will go and I'll change my bid to like five or six dollars more because then it'll assure that I get him most likely. But, uh, I, I treat proxy like it's non-proxy basically because it seems like that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that when you do that, you're putting a bit of a risk of, you know, a guy, I've seen this a number of times where let's say you have Patrick Mahomes going for uh, 28% of your budget. And then let's say you don't tack on that extra few dollars and someone goes to 29%. And then that resets the clock, especially in a 24-hour uh, you know clock league. But basically, the longer the clock, the worst case scenario for that league. Because then you're out giving all that opportunity for more people to bid on the same player. And so obviously, the, the longer the clock, the more the, the less I want the clock to reset. So I'm doing everything I can to not have the clock reset on a player that I want. Because it just exposes you to so many other players that could possibly bet on your player. Yeah. The 24 hour clock's got to die. I mean, that, that, that made sense when we all played, you know, before we had phones and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and you could only check your email. 
uh, you know, when you dialed up into the internet once a day or something like that. But now that we're all on our phones the entire day anyway. John, nobody was playing Dynasty Startup <laughs> auction, slow auctions when there was no phones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe that's a bit of hyperbole, much like the, uh, the Julio Jones for 10% or whatever it was. But yes. The 24-hour clock, there's nobody that checks in only once every 24 hours. That's crazy. Could you imagine just tilting on your screen as it loads a quarter inch at a time trying to get a bid in and you can't because your screen is loaded imagine that i that would less than minute that. less than one minute yeah, red line you, you, would, you would yeah you would really never redline anyone ever again <laughs> i would tilt myself off the edge of the earth that would be uh, bad yeah that would be brutal thank god for thank god for our smartphones and our wi-fi everywhere and fast internet for us to be able to constantly be bidding on fantasy football Thank you, Al Gore. All righty. Let's wrap us up. Uh, just a reminder that you should give us a five-star rating and review. Tell me how awesome my ad reads are. And then, John, uh, send us off with uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John Bosch FF. You can find the podcasts that I record. Dynasty Game Night, that's with Matt Price. And Dynasty Wall Street, that's with Kevin Cotillo and Riley Bymaster. Find them on all your major podcast uh, outlets. Alrighty, that'll do it for uh, this week. Uh, we hope to see you next week, Eric. Kadoosh! Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's season pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 season pass now at cagreatamerica.com. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.